Hey, podcast family, happy 4th of July weekend. Yep, even on a holiday weekend, we're still hard at work getting podcasts up and out to you. And as I said before, we've always gotten some podcast ideas through real life experiences and contacts. Well, it's the end of June, beginning of July, and if you work at any academic training center, you know what that means. Woohoo! Brand new interns, brand new level residents. It's an exciting time. It's a little stressful time. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of all of that all merged together. But I do need to give a shout out to a brand new, I'm talking day one, intern at another location. So that's a first disclosure, not in my institution. This was another residency program, a fantastic one, if I have to say, uh, in the state of Texas that I've got good friends with. But listen to this. So this this intern who's been a physician, I think it was like 24 hours. Right? I mean, because it just started. Actually listens to Clinical Pearls as a medical student. And he sent this message. He said, look, uh, I'm doing a lab check. I was tasked by doing the labs. And there's a patient with a positive syphilis screen, but it's discordant. And two faculty members were with me in clinic. One said, oh, that's a false positive. I don't do anything with that. I just rechecked that in four to six weeks. But the other attending that was also right there as they were discussing said, oh, no, I'm just going to treat that. I would treat that with three shots of penicillin. That's latent syphilis. So we have two different attending, guys, attending inputs here. Oh, repeat in four to six weeks. And the other is start the first shot right now. How do we get to that area? How do we get two very discordant issues for something that's very high stakes, like syphilis? And yes, she was pregnant. And as congenital syphilis has skyrocketed over the last six years, we've got to get this right. So this new intern sent me a Facebook message saying, I'm confused. What do I do here? So I reached back, said, one, thank you for listening. Second, was it by the traditional screening or by reverse sequence? And that's where the intern already got stuck. So kudos for reaching out to get the right treatment planks. I won't tell you what to do, but mm, drop the ball and figured out. We couldn't figure out if it was a traditional screening or reverse sequence. So I thought, of course, that's a great podcast idea. So in this session, we're going to cover reverse sequence syphilis testing and how that compares to traditional. If you're thinking about doing your OBGYN oral boards, they're going to ask you this because the congenital syphilis is a big deal. And we've got to get this right. So whether it's traditional or reverse sequence, we got to know what to do with the results that are, quote, discordant. And now I'm going to tell you what to do and what we did with this case because it was the right thing to do. Ready? Let's do reverse sequencing syphilis testing right now because nothing says 4th of July like getting your syphilis treated. Here we go. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. As quick disclosure, I am part of the syphilis tracking system for the state of Texas. And even though we're going to be talking about reverse sequencing, this in no way is an endorsement of one test strategy over the other. Improved laboratory diagnosis is crucial to curb the rise in congenital syphilis. It's crazy. I mean, it's increased fourfold since just 2000. And that's nuts because in 20 years, we should be going the opposite way. And though things nadered down in the 90s, we are definitely seeing a resurgence. 
Screening for syphilis is performed using serological assays that detect treponemal and non-treponemal antibodies. We get that, right? The sequence, though, in which these tests are performed differentiates the traditional from this newer reverse algorithm testing protocol. In the traditional algorithm, which is the way that I trained, a non-treponemal test like the rapid plasma reagent or RPR or the venereal disease research lab test, which is VDRL, those were drawn as the initial screen. And anything positive was then confirmed with a confirmatory treponemal test. All right, that's traditional. So it was non-treponemal and then converted over to a treponemal test as confirmation. The traditional treponemal confirmation test in this traditional pathway were things like microhemagglutination for treponema pallidum or fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test. Conversely, the reverse algorithm starts with a treponemal-specific test as screen with reactive samples followed by a non-treponemal test. Discordant results in this reverse algorithm pathway when there's a positive treponemal screen and a non-treponemal test that's negative is resolved then with a secondary confirmation test like treponemal pallidum microhemagglutination. All right. So again, traditional was non-treponemal, then convert it to a treponemal test. But this reverse algorithm is just the opposite. You start with a specific treponemal screen, and then you reflex to a non-treponemal test. And if the screen treponemal was positive, and the non-treponemal was negative, then you do a second confirmation test, which was the microhemagglutination, the particle agglutination for treponemal pallidum. Look, it's a lot of words going out there. Don't worry, we're going to make it super easy coming up right now. All right, so you should be thinking, look, if we had good enough before, why not leave good enough alone? I mean, if the traditional pathway, non-treponemal and then converting to a treponemal test was working, why this switch? Well, the switch is because the traditional pathway is very labor intensive. You see, in the traditional paradigm, most non-treponemal tests like RPR and VDRL, those things are manual assays. In other words, it's a person one by one with a pipel doing these serial dilutions. It's a pain in the ass. So high volume labs have chosen to adopt the reverse algorithm because now there's FDA cleared automated treponemal platforms that can run a bunch of tests. So think about labor and delivery. If you have somebody doing a one person, one test at a time with manual pipels looking initially in the traditional pathway for RPR at a titer, very labor intensive. So let's be clear right here. Both the traditional and reverse syphilis algorithms are used by labs today. And while traditionally the traditional algorithm was the only one used, there's been a slow decline in that test option as the reverse syphilis serology screening platforms have increased. Now, even though both are available, low-volume labs typically utilize the traditional algorithm because they're lower cost, even though they're much more labor-intensive. However, high-volume hospitals, so if you're at an academic center, you're most likely to be using the reverse syphilis screening path because you can knock out a lot of tests very quickly.
And of course, as clinicians, we really shouldn't be caring that much about just the ability to knock out a bunch of tests quickly at once because it's all about quality care. And the truth is, using the reverse sequence pathway, you can actually pick up some people who actually are positive with syphilis before even their RPR or VDRL actually shows up. And that's the main advantage here. Now, there's some conflicting data on which pathway is actually more cost effective, the old traditional way or this reverse sequence. And the truth is, if you're doing a lot of reverse sequence where you have to do the final confirmation test, the second confirmation test, then, you know, that cost benefit ratio kind of falls out. However, the the cost savings comes in in identifying more patients who actually have syphilis that may have been missed with the traditional RPR pathway because that cost of treating that infected patient, that congenital syphilis is horrible and it's just bad outcomes. So that's the reverse sequencing why. Why adopt that? Because you can do more tests more efficiently and it does have the ability to pick up those that actually have syphilis where the RPR would have otherwise been missed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, I'm going to make this super easy because this reverse sequencing testing algorithm for syphilis really is actually very straightforward. It all starts with either an EIA or a CIA for syphilis. That's a lot of initials, man. I hate that stuff. Okay, EIA is enzyme immunoassay, and syphilis CIA stands for chemoluminescence assay. Short of it is, there are two automated tests that are specific for syphilis. These are blood tests for syphilis that test for antibodies that are directed at the syphilis organism. Remember, that's treponema pallidum. EIAs and CIAs against syphilis are very sensitive And again, they are specific tests for syphilis. They have the advantage, as we've already mentioned, of being run in batch. So it's a much more effective system. So remember, as a clinical pearl, just to drive home that message, traditionally, things started with non-treponemal tests, the RPR and the VDRL. However, these EIAs are treponemal specific. That's why it's the reversed pathway. Labs that screen with an EIA or CIA are reversed rather than starting with a non-treponemal test and then confirming with a treponemal one. They are starting with a treponemal test and then confirming with a non-treponemal test. Traditionally, that's the RPR reflex. And why do we need the R- that RPR? Well, we need it because we still need that titer if the first screen, that antibody, is positive. So remember, this antibody test doesn't replace an RPR or a VDRL. We still need those because RPR and VDRL provides a quantitative test. In other words, remember, it's that titer that's helpful in staging disease and also for establishing the baseline for determining whether the patient responds appropriately to syphilis treatment. Now, once the EIA is positive, once the antibody is positive, that's the first sign that somebody is infected and it remains positive for life in the majority of people. 
Therefore, it's not useful for detecting reinfection. The way that you detect reinfection is by looking at that rise in the RPR title. Typically, a titer greater than fourfold increase typically means reinfection. So just to be clear, the antibody, the first step in the reverse sequence pathway, doesn't do away with RPR or VDRL. Those are still necessary, and it's the reflex test once the EIA or CIA is positive, because we need that titer to gauge stage and effectiveness of treatment. Here's a clinical pearl, guys. EIA or CIA, the specific assay for treponemal antibody, is positive for life. So if somebody has a history of it, it will never go away. Just like the particle agglutination test, that second confirmation test in the reverse sequence that I'm about to tell you about will be positive for life. What changes, what can go down, is the titer for RPR or VDRL. That's why getting those titers are important because it lets us gauge treatment success or reinfection. But once somebody has syphilis, then the antibody, the first step in the, res- in the reverse sequence pathway, will always be positive. And the final test will always be positive as well if they've been diagnosed or if they've been shown syphilis sometime in the past. So now let's get into some specific scenarios here. And I'm going to tell you what this patient was in terms of her discordant test. But before I do that, let me give you scenario one, which is the easiest one, okay? So you do an EIA test. The antibody is positive. So remember, the body is saying, hey, I've got antibody against treponema pallidum. And then you order the reflex, which is the RPR. And that's also positive. All right, you're two for two. This means that the patient has current or past syphilis. So you need to determine the stage of disease, if it's primary, secondary, early latent, or late latent, or tertiary, or if they are serofast, meaning they've been treated in the past, but their markers are still hanging around at low titers. This can be done based on their current or recent symptoms and signs, and of course, their history. You also have to look to see if they have any other past RPR titers to make sure that it's stable and hasn't had that fourfold increase. But in general, if the EIA is positive and the RPR is also positive, then that patient has current or past syphilis. Ah, but scenario two is what happened to our patient. That's called the discordant result. This is when the EIA is positive. Remember, it's looking for antibodies, so something is going on. But then the reflex RPR, or if the lab does VDRL, if that's negative. So this is called a discordant test result. In this situation, the CDC recommends that we go to a third syphilis confirmation test. Most labs do this automatically out of public health matters and public health concerns, but it typically defaults to a microhemagglutination or a particle hemagglutination, and that second confirmation test is called TPPA, treponema pallidum particle agglutination. So this is our patient at the start of the podcast. This is our scenario, okay? EIA is positive, RPR was negative, and then so the reflex test was done, which is that second confirmation test, TPPA. Well, let's do the easy one first, which is that the confirmation test, the second test called TPPA, is also negative. So we have EIA positive, first screen. RPR was reflexed and it was negative. And then they run the third test, the treponema pallidum particle agglutination, 
and it's also negative. Now, this was not our patient, okay? Because our patient, that second confirmation test was positive, but I'm doing the easy one first. So first step positive, RPR negative, and then TPPA negative. Well, this is most likely a false positive EIA. Yeah, I mean, they're out there, so nothing's perfect, right? So if the first pass is positive, but the two reflex tests are both negative, typically it's a false positive EIA and no further action is necessary. That's not my opinion. That's straight from the CDC. But if your clinical suspicion for syphilis is high, then it's always important, remember, to have the discussion with the patient that you could consider empiric treatment just to be safe or you could repeat the syphilis tests in two to four weeks. Just run the exact same panel. Now, here's the benefit and why people like the reverse pathway, okay? Because the EIA is so sensitive for very early primary syphilis that it may be the very first marker showing up. I mean, it's super sensitive. And it can show up before RPR and TPPA. So I'll tell you what I do. In a case where the EIA is positive, RPR is negative, and then the TPPA is also negative. I, I don't treat them right off the bat because I don't, I don't like to treat people for nothing. But I do stress to them, look, we're going to repeat this in two to four weeks, and I like four weeks just to make sure that they can convert. If that repeat test in two or four weeks, like I like to do it, if it's still EIA positive but RPR negative and TPPA negative, then no further action is necessary and we'll chalk up the EIA positive to a false positive test result. Okay, now let's get into our patient scenario as we wrap up this podcast. Remember, we're talking about discordant results when the EIA is positive, but the VDRL or RPR is negative. Well, in our patient, that's what happened. So we ran the TPPA as automatic reflex, a second confirmation test, and that was positive. Everybody got it? So first step, positive, RPR, negative, but TPPA was positive. Oh, great. Well, and this is where the confusion came in. And this is what I answered back to this intern and what I recommended. It's very easy, guys. There's only three possibilities here. The first is that the patient had a history of syphilis. So we just ask, hey, do you ever receive three shots for this thing called syphilis? Have you ever been treated? And it's a good idea to check with your local health department uh, from where they reside just to make sure that they have nothing on file. Because if that's the case, then no treatment is necessary. Remember, their RPR is negative. So they're just called serofast. If it was a new infection, their RPR would have a significant titer. So if the patient has a history, their EIA can be positive, their RPR can revert to negative, and their TPPA will always be positive, just like EIA. So they are called serofast. But in this case, our patient did not have a history of syphilis. So on to possibility number two. The second scenario, and what this patient fell into, is that the patient has late, latent syphilis. Remember, EIA positive, RPR reflex was negative, but the second confirmation, TPPA, was positive. This patient has late latent syphilis. And in this case, the patient should be treated with benzathine penicillin G, 2.4 million units, IM, weekly, times three. And that's what I recommended in this case. Oh my goodness, guys, and don't miss this because this is the whole advantage of the reverse sequence. You see, in the traditional pathway, if they had started out with RPR, it would be missed 
Because remember, in this discordant result, in the reverse sequence, the antibody was caught on step one. So EIA was positive, but then RPR was negative, and then finally confirmed with the treponemopallidum particle agglutination. So this is why there's this big move. People would have gone, look, oh, you would have missed it by doing the RPR. And I'm in that camp. I like this reverse sequence pathway because a patient like this, like just happened with this intern, would have otherwise been missed. Now, you would hope that as she progressed in her pregnancy, it would be caught either in, in the third trimester or at delivery. But, you know, don't take anything for granted. Now, let's finish with the third possible scenario. This third scenario, and why it's very similar to the second, because you're going to treat him anyway, is that the patient was so recently exposed to syphilis that the antibody was caught. But as we just stated, the RPR has not yet turned positive. So if this patient is at risk for syphilis, and I mean, you know who's at risk for syphilis? Anybody having sex. I mean, let's call it what it is, right? This old, you know, kind of patient profiling of their higher risk. This has gotten us into trouble anyway. So just believe the test because you never know what's going on out there. And it's just part of being a good patient advocate because you don't want to miss something like congenital syphilis. Remember, especially if they're pregnant, this discordant tier, this discordant algorithm of EIA positive, RPR negative, but the TPPA is also positive, there's only three options. First, they've got a history of treated syphilis and they're serofast. And you can figure that out pretty easy. Second, it's late latent syphilis and they're going to require three injections of penicillin G. And then the third possibility is that you caught it so early that they haven't even converted yet to the RPR, but because that second confirmation test, treponemal pallidum, particle agglutination is positive, that they're likely having primary or very early syphilis, and they also need to be treated. However, because it's uncertain of when they actually converted, it's recommended by the CDC that in this situation, you treat them just like late latent. They get three injections of benzylene penicillin G, 2.4 million units, IM weekly times three. So in this case, there's really no point to repeat the test down the road because you're still going to get them treated. Remember, EIA positive, RPR negative, but TPPA positive, like in our patient situation, retesting is just kicking the can down. So I sided with the attending that said, treat them right now with their first injection. Um, by the way, a little quick clinical pearl, informal on social graces. Um, I was on the phone talking with this new intern, and I should have asked if I was on speakerphone. Because, look, it was the end of the day. I was already kind of moody. I think it's my post-COVID mild encephalopathy or whatever's going on. I don't know. Getting kind of moody lately. But anyway, and <laughs> when we're talking about the two options, I said, absolutely, get that patient treated. That attending is right. But this whole idea of retesting later, oh, my God, please don't do that. There's no reason to do that. Uh, yeah, I was on speakerphone and that other provider was there. I apologized. I kind of sounded like a jerk. I'm not a jerk. All right, podcast family, we have wrapped this up. We have covered the specifics on reverse sequence testing for syphilis and why it's better than the traditional pathway. Now, listen, see, in this case specifically, this patient, at least at that point of test, would have been missed because her RPR was negative. 
But that antibody picked up the flag and said, something's going on in here. And then, then it was confirmed by that second confirmatory test, TPPA. Now, the argument against that, the rebuttal, right? The other flip of the coin is that people say, hey, you would have caught that at delivery anyway. Yeah, but it would have delayed treatment. And what if she didn't go in for delivery? What if she had a home birth? What if she got lost to follow up? Kicking the can down? Is that really how we want to do this? So no. And there's the advantage of reverse sequence technology. Looking for a treponemal antibody that's very sensitive and specific for syphilis, starting with that first and then working back, seems to be the way to go. Happy 4th of July weekend, everyone. Be safe out there. We'll see you in another episode of Clinical Pearls.